Nissan believes you deserve a car that thrills you. So we have to ask, does your car thrill you? When you hit the pedal, do you get something back? A chill in your spine, goosebumps on your goosebumps. When you take off, do your fingers tighten around the steering wheel? Does your heart beat in your stomach and your breath catch in your chest? Does driving make you feel alive? Because it should. And if your car doesn't thrill you, ours will. This is the new Nissan. All right. Now you've got your beer in hand. We are rolling. Let's do this thing. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, it's another episode of your favorite podcast, Nebraska Beer 30, episode 62. We've done 62 of these. That's that's nuts. Hey, if you're watching on YouTube or listening on that podcast app, hit subscribe for us. It shows you are supporting the show. Also, follow us on all social media platforms with at N-E, the letters N-E, Beer 30. Hit us up that way. If you want to support the show, uh, in a different way, visit patreon.com slash nebeer30. There's a few tiers there that you can join that would support the show. And last but not least, if you want to be featured on the show, you want to hear your pretty voice on the podcast, your own voice, hit up the Nebraska Beer 30 hotline at 402-370-9900. Maybe you need some advice. Maybe you just want to get something off your chest. Hit up the hotline and leave us a voicemail. I am joined by a very special guest this episode, Mr. Jim Engelbart. Jim, how are you, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Great, yeah. You know, I should have asked you before the podcast. Is it Engelbart? Is that how you pronounce it? Engelbart, you did you did way better than my English teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what would uh, what would your English teacher call you? Uh, it, it, she just never could get the Engel and Bart strung together quite quite correctly. It was, <laughs> it was just always a struggle of consonants. Engel Bart, yeah, I could I could see how. Uh, what was was it an older teacher? Uh, yes, yeah, and I, I, the the family has spelled the name. Uh, I, I, I've traced my roots through uh, like a lot of other people mm-hmm. through ancestry and. Uh, the family spelled the name that way, like since the 1500s. Um, but the fact that the it's E L B as opposed to L E B um, has been like the way it's been misspelled my entire life, and I, I don't know why it gave that particular teacher such a hard time. But there you have. But my that's good though. Story. There's, there's been a lot of other butchery of my name in my life too. Trust me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Do, do you have a couple examples? <laughs> uh, uh, no, we won't. We don't need to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, Jim is the operations manager at Empyrean Brewing Co., the granddaddy of craft beer here in Nebraska. Um, before we we're get old. going... We're old, man. We're old, but still <laughs> producing awesome beer. There, there's a reason you're still around, Jim. Thanks. Hey, I always love to hear that. It never That line never gets old from anybody. What's that? You, there's a reason uh, you're still around or, or you're yeah. old? Uh, no, that, that the beer is... <laughs> The, the beer, there you go. Yeah. The beer, the product is is excellent. That that never gets, uh, I never get tired of hearing that. Exactly. Yeah, dude, like I said, there's a reason you guys are still around. You know, there's there are breweries 
that have started, maybe even before you, that have sort of called it quits. You know, like, um, oh, what's the one? Is it uh, Tall Grass? Yeah. They had they had to call it quits, unfortunately. Uh, I know, like, Green Flash out in California, they started back in the day, and, and they're, you know, sort of consolidating in California. But you guys seem like you're still going strong, man. We're still hanging on. We're still going strong. Uh, you know, we've we've run counter to the way some other, I guess, new, newer businesses have run. And uh, there's there's a lot of like things that as someone that's been around the industry and with this company for a long time, you know, there's there's things I look at sometimes and I'm like, I wonder what it would be like if we would have done this different. Mm-hmm. What um, and, and what like do you... for for uh-huh. example. Uh, it, it, we, we are an awesome restaurant company and, and um, in no small part because of, uh, of our owners and their attention to, to detail on the side of executing a restaurant business. And, mm-hmm. um, something that just kind of keeps coming up for me recently, especially with, with the COVID stuff going on and this split that was potentially going to be happening between bars and restaurants. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm president of the Brewers Guild in the state on top of being Imperian's operation. Manager. Oh, no way. So, I, did, yes. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, and I've been around that world for a long, long time too. Pretty much ever since we formed a state guild or association. Um, so, I have a closer tie to all the other brewers in the state than I think a lot of people uh, realize. And and I hear, you know, uh, particularly the taproom brewers all reached out in the last four weeks about, hey, what's the deal? You know, we don't mm-hmm. serve food. We don't want to serve food. That's why we opened the way we did. And they're gonna, you know. Uh, a great example would be um, out in Holdridge. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mark, Mark Krause and his wife run a, a great little brewery out there in Holdridge, um, flyover. And uh, I think I just butchered the name of their, their brewery. Anyway, so. <laughs> oh, you're fine. I, I do that all the time. I do that all the time. The example would be in the town of Holdridge where um, there's five liquor licenses in the town and four of them are restaurants and, and the other one is his tap room. And he does food trucks and stuff like that from time to time. But with the way the COVID restrictions were going down, everyone in town was going to be able to open for 50% seating, but him. Hmm. And so, you know, there's a really like localized, you know, like right up in your face example of, okay, what, what's really the difference between sitting in a restaurant and having a drink and a meal or sitting in a tasting room or tap room and having a, you know, flight of, you know, four, four ounce beers. And you start going through the experience, the time, you know, in this, deal with the COVID is all about exposure time um, with, mm-hmm. with other people in general. So it's kind of like, oh, you know, there really isn't any difference there. And, and so on the guild standpoint, we said, hey, you know, we're all L-class manufacturing or brewing licenses. Um, we should all be treated the same whether we serve food or not. And kind of coming out with that stance and, and pushing that towards the liquor control authorities and towards the governor's office, um, you know, that, that really was kind of a, in a big way what led to them saying, hey, June 1st, you know, everyone can be open for 50% capacity. Wow. Um, I, I really don't know that that would have happened if, you know, I'm part of the Brewers Guild, if we wouldn't have kind of taken that stance. And I can't take credit for that because, mm-hmm. to be honest, like Mark himself, you know, he pushed really hard, um, you know, as, as a member of our, our executive group on the Brewers Guild. He said, hey, we need, to, we need to go beat down the governor's door. And I'm like, there's like thousands of people trying to beat down the governor's door Oh, right dude, now. yeah, right now. Uh-huh. Uh, and and I don't the, know, you know, the do doors we really want to make... And, you know, um, one of the, the, the fun challenges of being involved in beer and, and being involved on a, in the bigger world of beer is politically, 
it's it's important for us to remain neutral. Um, mm-hmm. we, we make a beverage that appeals to everybody, or at least we like to think it, it does. So, you know, taking a stance towards one side or another politically is is always, you know, doesn't do you any favors, I should say. Yes. So, yeah. um, you know, and some people will say, well, how could you work with the governor? And just be like, well, you know, what what are we supposed to do? Yeah, um, you're you're, you're trying to you're trying to help brewers. You're yeah, trying, to help trying to we're trying businesses to help businesses just like you. Yeah. So anyway, a little bit of a tangent in terms of not, not talking about myself or a period <laughs> at all, but that's been, that took up like a big chunk of my, my time in the last week and um, mm-hmm. the guild in general, um, uh, I, I, I knew, uh, I really didn't want to be president of the Brewers Guild. And I'd, <laughs> I'd had the position before previously for almost a decade mm-hmm. back in the 2000s. And um, my boss kind of said, yeah, I think you need to be president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you need to step and, in. Well, well, you've been, you've been in the industry for so long, man. You're it's I'm the sure only professional career I, I've I've known. I'm fortunate in that, and, and I meet That's so incredible. many people from other breweries and, and other states, and, and even here in Nebraska. That you know, I've stepped into brewing from another walk of life, and they're just like, oh, it's just it's just like such a, you know, is it everything you wanted it to be? And they're like, no, not at all. But it's so still so much better than you know my my career that I had before. You know. Engineering, or being a lawyer, or uh, you know, every walk of life, um, especially now that we have eight thousand some breweries in the country, uh, every walk of life or previous career is represented in beer now. So mm-hmm. it's always interesting to get those stories, and they're like, "Well, what's your story?" And I'm like, "Well, I worked for this company when I was going through college, and they told me if I ever needed a job or wanted a job, they'd take me back." And I left for a year after I graduated, and they told me they were going to expand the pub and make a brewery, and I'm like. I'd move back to Nebraska for that. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah, man. Give um, me a hell yeah. So, uh, Jim, d- describe that a little bit more, man. So you you were going to school, and you were you working for Laszlo's at the so time? So at the time, uh, let's see if I can be brief, and I'm a, I'm a big storyteller. I know we have a, a time time limit here. So Oh, you're good, man. Nin- 1994, um, I was coming into my senior year of college. Um, I I fortunately got to, as part of my Spanish minor, got to take uh, a summer course in central Mexico. So I had just been in central Mexico for like eight weeks, uh, became fluent in Spanish, uh, came back home and had been working a banquet staff at Lincoln Country Club, actually. Um, and I'm like, I really, I really would rather just wait tables. I don't want to do banquet staff anymore. They really wanted me to come back there. <laughs> and I kept ignoring them. I donated blood for a few weeks. You know, the things you do in college. Um, in the grunge era. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I got a job. I walked into this place down in the Haymarket um, next to this place I'd heard of. And I'd eaten at Laszlo's once with my parents, like probably 93. And my mom had made some comment about, wow, this place would be a great place to work, I bet. And I'm just like looking at her like, I'm not, yeah, no, not going to be a waiter. And uh, I, but I'd always worked you know, busboy and, and banquet type staff catering, that kind of stuff in, in high school and stuff. So it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. But I walked into uh, the Haymarket where they had a new restaurant they were just opening called Jabrisco. Um, Jay, Brian, and Scott, three primary owners, they combined their name to be Jabrisco. And, um, you know, as owners of Lazos, they, they got the laws changed in the state to allow brew pubs to exist. And, you know, they didn't, they didn't come up with the idea for brew pubs, but um, in one of the other businesses that Brian runs uh, that's in our, our company family, um, there's a lot of travel to Southern California specifically. And, and, you know, that point in time in the late 80s, 
group hubs were just becoming a thing and mm-hmm. him and his best friend and his older brother um, had always talked about starting a restaurant together because they grew up, you know, high school, they worked at the underground. It was a, a restaurant in, uh, in Lincoln um, in the seventies and eighties where, you know, it was pretty much one of the only four or five star restaurants you could eat at in the, in the Lincoln market. Mm-hmm. And so they came out of that service environment. Uh, Jay went to work for the Houston's group and was opening Houston's restaurants all over the Southern United States Scott had gone to work for Bennigan's and was getting moved around every, you know, six months, open a new Bennigan's. They hated their lives. They loved working in restaurants, but they hated their lives. And they're like, you know, Brian said, Hey, come home, let's do this thing together. And um, so, you know, these three friends in their thirties started the first group up in Nebraska, but they had to jump through every hoop to get it done. Wow. Um, and, you know, picked a good place in a burned out warehouse market, <laughs> you know, the hay- <laughs> market back in those days was scary you had like two restaurants um you had an old burned out comedy club um and and a bunch of burned out warehouses still i mean it was just like there wasn't anything going on down there yeah and you look at it nowadays and look how it's blown up man the rail yard and there's a bunch of businesses in all those warehouses now it's been so so anyway you know i i started there in 94 worked for this new restaurant jabrisco um part of the appeal to it was coming back from mexico and having some mexican beer experience and just more beer and experience and just more curiosity towards that than ever yeah um and growing up i grew up in western nebraska scott's bluff and so you know when we went to the city it was you know cheyenne or denver and and we went skiing every year and and um, i spent my freshman and sophomore year college in at school of mines in colorado trying to be an engineer uh learning that i could never learn calculus basically um dude same here (laughs) yeah so uh, oh i hate calculus we would uh no girls at that school so we would you know trip to road trip to fort collins to to party with um girls there you go um you'd roll into fort collins in 1991 and you'd go to a house party and there'd be six kegs of old cherry and fat tire and it's just like mm-hmm. somebody at the party in the town on linden street would uh, hey we we'll work at this new brewery down the street this guy just moved out of his garage like a year ago and again it was you know that became new belgium that be- you know i was drinking fat tire in a garage holy in crap <laughs> no way in, in 1991 had no idea you know it was like oh this is pretty good yeah this this is cool would, would you tire. call fat tire your like your gateway beer, what got you into craft? No, um, I, I have to go a little farther back. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I think it, I think I got to give Anchor Steam credit. Uh, I think that was Anchor Steam and Bass Ale. I got a hold of those beers, I think, first. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nuki, good old Nuki Brown, Newcastle Brown Ale. There you go. Uh, those <laughs> were the, those were literally the three stalwarts available in Lincoln. Other than, I mean, the only other dark colored beer you could find in the ni- early nineties in Lincoln was probably Michelob Dark. Yeah, and you could get pictures of that for like four bucks at Duffy's. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> we drank a, we drank a lot of McDark at Duffy's. Um, <laughs> those were the days, though. A pitcher of beer for four bucks—that's pretty yeah, wicked. Yeah, and and again, you know, there was maybe six maybe six beers on tap. Um, mm-hmm. So, so anyway, being around since those times has, has been very interesting and watching, you know, Jabrisco come and go. Uh, I, I worked there basically until I graduated college, uh, August of 95. And mm-hmm. um, I had promised myself, uh, I moved from Golden to Lincoln in 1992. And, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm dropping out of engineering. I'm going to do something different. I'm just going to get my degree. And the second I've got my degree, I'm moving right back to Colorado. So on a whim, I changed my major to broadcast journalism. So 
uh, that's what my degree is in. And um, I had no idea, no plans of working in journalism whatsoever, was hoping maybe to get a job with uh, TCI or Primestar in the Denver market. So yeah, right after graduation, I moved right back out to Denver mm-hmm. um, and could not get a job anywhere that wasn't a restaurant. <laughs> or yeah, I worked at UPS, I worked at, uh, I opened one of like the, uh, or I worked in the Starbucks in uh, uh, on Jackson Street in Lodo, uh, Lodo, Denver, when there was only three Starbucks in the whole city of Denver. Holy crap! But, uh, yeah, <laughs> now, now there's now there's one on every corner, basically. Yeah. That was a company I considered staying with. The store I was in was uh, kind of a manager training ground, and like two other people that started around the same time I did went to get they got their own stores because I mean again they, they just in that year I would have been ninety. 596 um, they went from like 2500 stores nationally i think to over 6000 that year their training program is awesome man it was a whole week of classroom coffee i I know almost as much about coffee as a result of that as i do about beer but again it kind of set me on that path for you know working in something a little more esoteric the language and development of describing and selling coffee is uh you Mm -hmm. know you know whether it's coffee whether it's wine whether it's beer spirits um there's just a, a way of presenting and talking about flavors and that experience to people. I think that that really kind of ties together. So definitely, I I have a buddy who runs. And he's been on the show. He actually used to produce this podcast, but he runs the Coffee Roaster here mm. in town, which is just off of uh, 50th and Old Cheney. But when he first started doing that, and then he started describing coffee and the taste of coffee and and how to taste coffee i immediately like, what the hell that. are you talking about i've never tasted that before <laughs> exactly yeah dude it's you know you don't realize um you don't realize the flavors you can get out of coffee blueberries uh crazy things like that you know types of stone fruit and stone it wasn't fruit. until it wasn't until that he it wasn't until he mentioned all those flavors that i started picking those flavors out in coffee i mean it's just you know like you said it's just like beer yeah, they they really start to pop, and and uh, so the sensory side of beer has always really really appealed to me ever ever since then. And mm-hmm. so I I uh, I'd worked at Starbucks, and I was working at a restaurant on the 16th Street Mall, and and it was tourist season of the summer in '96, and man, it, um, it, life was good. I mean, partying my face off, um, and it was <laughs> it was too good from that standpoint. So I was like, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I was getting serious with my now wife and was just like, you know, we're, we are going to go nowhere fast if we stay uh-huh. in Denver. It, it, uh, again, it's the funnest place in the world to live, but you have to work seven days a week and 10 hours a day to be able to afford to have any fun. And then you don't have any time to have fun because you're working all the time. So, yep. you know, um, it, it was just really apparent it was going to be a rat race. And Brian, one of our owners, uh, and the founder, you know, came out to the Great American Beer Festival that year because they were um, just checking out beer, scouting the industry. And I'd always, you know, gotten along really well with him. Um, got to talk to him a lot because the owners always ate at the bar every day at Laszlo's and, uh, and Tabrisco. And when I was behind, you know, I was, was uh, as, as fast as I could work my way up the progression of waiter to bartender, I did. Um, so I got to wait on those guys every day and developed a relationship with them. Um, and they'd remember me, you know, and we're glad to, to bring me back. So he came to visit me at work and he's just like, Hey, you know, we're looking at, at doing this brewery thing. And I'm just like, that's, I'm just like the timing, everything was perfect. I'm like, I'm going to move back to Nebraska. Uh, my wife's uh, from Lincoln. And so her family's from here. It was just, just seemed like the right thing to do. We moved right mm-hmm. into the, uh, the Granger building downtown in the Haymarket. We ended up getting an apartment downtown. So, you know, here we are, you know, we've, we've been together about two years at that point in time, young couple, 
in our 20s, fresh out of college. We got a cool apartment down in the Haymarket, Jack's Bar right across the street, Vincenzo's oh, right over on the corner. Old Chicago hadn't quite opened up yet, but you know, we had last listened to Briscoe down there in the oven, and it, it was just, you know, it was, it was a dream job. And, Dude, that's, uh, that's living. Yeah, yeah, That is living. And uh, the work wasn't too bad either. I mean, um, I've done just about everything in the brewery except actually spend a lot of time making beer. Um, (laughs) uh, So I've always kind of been on the sales and marketing side initially. Um, I had a lot to do with our initial, got to to play a big role on the team coming out with our initial beer names when we crafted Empyrean outside of Laszlo's. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a decision we made in 97, 98. Um, And mostly because we got a lot of pushback from the Lincoln market about, hey, we love Laszlo's. We love Laszlo's beer, but we don't want to sell Laszlo's at our place. We'll sell your beer, but we won't sell Laszlo's. So, you know, we were like, so if we rebrand the beer as something else, you know, everyone said, oh, that'd be great. We still go out to sell beer in the Lincoln market and have people tell us um, we won't sell Laszlo's. (laughs) (laughs) Which is insane. You know, it. um, yeah, people don't make that distinction that... Empyrean is one entity and Laszlo's is the other. Uh, and it's so, th- there's been pluses and minus about that dichotomy though, because at the same mm-hmm. time we made that break, um, you know, we, we handled for a long period of time. We, we kind of said from the restaurant standpoint, the brewery will take over all of the um, draft system maintenance and staff training. And um that worked great for us for a period of time, but, but you get like a decade or 12 years into that process and your people that are training restaurant servers, how to sell beer, haven't actually waited. You know, I, I was doing a lot of that training for a long time and I'm like, I'm 10 years removed from being behind a bar or waiting a table. Um, I don't know if what I'm still telling these people is relevant, you know, um, yeah, yeah. really starting to, to question the, the training. Um, it's funny how that stuff kind of comes for full circle, be, uh, because now we're back and talking about a lot of that stuff again here, you know, in our 30th year, uh, and how a lot of that, uh, and to be honest, I mean, it's something again, that's just been relevant for me in the last month is going back and thinking about that. And maybe as beer marketers, once we started to reach, you know, this like headway in the early two thousands of man, we could, yeah we can have 5 million breweries open and, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and there's plenty of market for everybody. And I still am confident I feel this way as an aside that there's plenty of market for everyone, but Oh, there, yeah, there definitely is. Um, but everybody hey, got away from training. Um, uh-huh. Like I was talking about the esoteric part of it um, and really talking about the flavor difference. Um, yep. You know, it became more about the cool label or, you know, and, uh, the hazy craze right now is still kind of just drives me nuts from time to time. And um, mm-hmm. then I'll drink, you know, five or six and I'm like, I really like these beers. Yeah, I, understand I, why, I really understand why they're a hit, but it still makes me crazy that it's just seems like this, uh, you know, every two to three years, there's got to be this new weird fat that mm-hmm. uh, we have to continually try and push the envelope with a beverage that's 10,000 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim, I, I, I want to get into that here in a second. <clears throat> um, and before we do, there's a couple things we got to cover. Yep. One is I just crushed an Empyrean Lunacy ESB. That was delicious. You're drinking <laughs> it's, faster than I am. I need to pick my face up. It's one of my favorites. Two is I'm going to crack another beer here. This is Long Route Peanut Butter Porter. This is one of my absolute favorites from you guys. And this beer, Jim, is being opened by our sponsor, Steel Pig Forge. You can check out Steel Pig Forge for your custom hand-forged knives and 
cutlery. Um, Jim, what? Uh, a couple things that you need to cover. One, what beer are you drinking? And two, what's up with your background? <laughs> mm, if you're watching questions. on YouTube, you can see Jim's background. So um, I am drinking out of a blue glass. I was trying to show this earlier. and My background messes up my glass. I'll hold it in front of my face. You can see it's a blue glass. Uh, this is our pitched blue glass, pint glass from last year. I wish I could say I was drinking pitched blue. Um, it is in the tank uh, as we speak. We actually just brewed the first Ooh. batches of this year's vintage on Friday. But I'm drinking a good old Watchmen right now. And nine times out of ten, if you catch me drinking uh, a beer at home, it's it's Watchmen. Though I should take that back. It's it's about 50-50 now between Watchmen and Mind Over Mango. Um, oh, I love Mind Over Mango. I, uh, I'm kind of jealous you have a lunacy. I'm, I'm wishing I would have grabbed more of that when we did our last packaging run uh, of it. We, mm-hmm. Every time we do a packaging run, we produce a case and a half to two cases of uh, employee beer. Short fills. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's the, the perks of, of being the operations manager. Well, the uh, perks, of, perks of working in a brewery, everyone gets to partake. Yeah, hell yeah. So, Jim, you mentioned earlier that you know newer breweries, they're... Uh, they're very they're very trendy and they're they're making a bunch of beers um a bunch of different styles there's always something new which you guys do as well but you said something about how you guys have sort of stayed your course um how do you think that's benefited you guys um i'd say it's benefited us from the standpoint of i mean we run one of the most successful restaurant companies in the region um Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, it's, it becomes a little bit of a, a, internal struggle for us as a company sometimes to say, okay, um, it's very important for our restaurants to maintain a certain amount of table turn time yep. because they have the volume that's coming in the door. And if they don't get the table you know, available, they don't do the sale. And so for us as a brewery, that's important too. Obviously we, you know, we want the place full. We want, we want them to get it, uh, maximize their sales, but at the same time, uh, when your table turn time expectation is 45 minutes, um, you're not going to get much people, many people to consume more than a 16 ounce pint. So mm. it's a little bit uh, self-limiting in terms of, um, you know, uh, expecting you're going to sell much volume that way. The other side of it that gets to be a little bit of a crush is the information sharing and trying to give your guests an experience, um, that's outside of the norm and potentially take them, you know, we, uh, we always strive for this kind of service experience where you came in knowing you were going to have a pint of honey gold and a rainbow chicken. That's literally like 60% oh, of our customer dude, base. Rainbow chicken and voodoo chicken. Voodoo, yes. ch- voodoo chicken's my number one, but you give me Voodoo's some rainbow chicken. Yes. Oh dude. Rainbow chicken, chicken is a chicken breast with a pile of, of cheese on it. There's nothing impressive about that. And again, oh. it, it was one of the things as a server in Lazlo's, it was just like, I'm going to go to work today and I'm probably going to sell like 30 of those. It's magical. And, if, if And if like I... five steaks and that steak is like world-class, one of the best things that we make, but everyone <laughs> wants a piece of chicken covered in cheese. What the hell? Dude, if I, <laughs> if I could have, if I could have one meal for the rest of my life, no kidding. It would be voodoo chicken with, uh, a loaded baked potato. Holy crap, dude. So I the, love the voodoo chicken. So that's a perfect picture of the, the dichotomy in our world because the voodoo uh-huh. chicken is this like flavor pop. It has this really, um, again, right now it doesn't seem so out there, but at the time we rolled it out, I think, gosh, maybe a decade ago, 
um, doing that spicy cheese mix was was kind of this again new wave um, sort of, of flavor um, black and chicken you know had a had a big thing going on at that point in time too and so it just came in and, and even though you have this bread and butter item in the food in the rainbow chicken um, mm-hmm. it, it appeals to everybody in its blandness quite literally um, there isn't any flavors on there that pop at all mm-hmm. um, but people buy it by the dozen um, and then you have voodoo chicken it's got this you know same chicken base the cheese is melted and has a spicy mix in it otherwise it's still just a chicken breast covered with cheese mm-hmm. but the twist on the you know the, the spicing kind of narrows the appeal of it and it requires a little different level of appreciation or maybe training and and spicier eating you know Mm -hmm. and i'm just amazed sometimes that there's still a a huge segment of our uh, population here in nebraska that if you get much higher hotter than pepper black pepper then you've just you know gotten outside of their comfort (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're they're growing smaller all the time we are we do use more salsa these days than ketchup but um Mm -hmm. so you know the dichotomy in our beer worlds uh, and in our restaurant and in our brewery is catering to that wide range without getting too deep in any one of the uh you know in any one part of the category it's like we Mm -hmm. have the drinker that comes Mm -hmm. in that literally asks for bush light in a can and it's like you realize you're in a brewery right (laughs) have some choco gold they don't care they they, you know uh to them the beer they're in a brewery they're they're like bush light in a can in their mind is like you know the the pinnacle of all beers uh, yeah the pinnacle of their beer experience and so you have to convince them to try something different, uh, to take them to take a road less traveled, that that kind of thing, or a road that at least you haven't traveled quite as much, dude. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. takes a thirty pack of Bushlight every four days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, the the challenges in the business is, you know, you want to have something for that customer, yeah, um, and you want to be able to take that customer down a comfortable path that maybe would get them eventually into, say, a pale ale or maybe crazy thought IPA. Yep. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to have that. I've drank nothing but hazy IPA in my entire adult life because I just turned 21 a year and a half ago. Um, and I walk into Lazlo's Brewery and Grill, Brewery and Grill, and I, there's not a hazy IPA on tap. And I don't know how to navigate in that world. The last four breweries I went to had nothing but hazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so well, trying to you know, come in and fit in between those two is, is I think that's the challenge for us old guys, us yeah. older stalwarts. Yep, I, I know what you mean, but you know, I think being the, the symbiosis between Empyrean and Laszlo's, the the positive of it is that you know someone goes to Laszlo's and they're going to try Choco Canyon, they're going to try Peanut Butter Porter or e, uh, or ESB, and then they're going to walk into a nearby grocery store, and that beer is going to be right there. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, the, the, the with. Value. Mm-hmm. The value of the relationship is uh, is never ending uh, for, for both of us. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, I the, think the last quip I would share with you would be Scott mm-hmm. Bowles, one of our founders, used to tell us when he was training us on the server side uh, that, that beer is the big hammer we carry around in our toolbox to knock our guests over the head with. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that meant we were just supposed to sell them a lot of beer and, and uh, hopefully they don't feel like they got hit with the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. I think it. I, to me, that means that uh, the beer is the wow factor at Laszlo's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's the differentiator for sure. What sets exactly. us apart? What sets us apart from the TGI McAppleby's? Yeah, there you go. Well, Jim, 
It's been 30 minutes already. Actually, it's been 31 minutes. Can you believe it? I talk a lot, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude, no, that's that's great. That's awesome. One of my favorite things about this show, um, uh, when, this, when this happens, when someone has a lot of insight and a lot to talk about, it makes my job easier. So thanks for making my job easier <laughs> as a podcast host. Thank so, you. ladies and gentlemen, we're wrapping up. Uh, Jim, cheers, man. Everybody make sure that you go follow Empyrean on all the social media platforms. I like my video effects here. <laughs> I missed it. Where is it? There you know. go. It looks to me like my glass is disappearing. And so <laughs> am I. Well, Jim, thanks again for being on the show, man. And cheers. Uh, Yep. Cheers, dude. We will catch you later. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus. The bulbous walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.